0: Welcome to the Holistic Grace Podcast, a place for the Christian woman to find energy and wellness for her everyday life. And now, here's your host, Giselle Balbino. Hi everyone, I am so glad to be back with you for Episode 2 of the Holistic Grace Podcast. So today's episode will be all about the mind and its huge role in creating any of the changes we would like to make in our lives. And this will be a foundational one. We'll be discussing things that we'll be coming back to again and again in future episodes. So you don't want to miss. I'll be exploring a little bit from the field of neurolinguistics and psychology and looking at some of the physiological aspects of the brain and how it works in relation to creating changes in habits and behavior. And then we'll be making some connections with what the Bible has to say about all of this and how we as believers can apply these truths to our everyday lives. So... Ladies, let's put on your um, nerdy glasses and your thinking cap on, and let's get to it. In the field of psychology and evolutionary science, there is a belief that all of human behavior can be understood in two ways. We are either avoiding pain or pursuing pleasure. And the basis for this is the belief that the brain was uniquely designed to, or as they would say it, uniquely evolved to seek pleasure, avoid pain, and exert the least amount of energy. The belief is that this makes up the basis for how the human brain functions in order to keep us alive and keep humanity from going extinct. The idea is that we seek pleasures like food, relationships, physical intimacy, and we avoid pain, which is basically anything harmful or painful that could hurt us or kill us. And that, in this way, we can all stay happy and alive. And this is something that we can actually observe in life. Um, If you think about it, we as humans, we do tend to do that which brings us most pleasure. So all of our, our choices, if you stop and think about you will see that all of our choices are really made based on these two premises. We're either choosing to do something because we're trying to avoid pain or because we're pursuing something that we truly love, that truly gives us pleasure. So a classical example would be the person who wakes up early in the morning to go for a run, right? They, Those crazy people that wake up four in the morning to go out for a run, Why would they do that? Why would they choose to wake up four o'clock in the morning and go for a run instead of sleeping in on a Saturday morning, right? Or in my case, why would I wake up um, 545 on a Saturday morning to go to a Bible study in the morning, right? Because I go to a 630 (laughs) women's Bible study in the morning, Um, or at least that's the goal most Saturdays. And why? Why would I not want to sleep in in the morning, and the reason why the runner wakes up at 4 in the morning or whatever time to go running is because that gives him most pleasure. To him, it's more pleasurable to wake up early in the morning and go for a run than it is to stay home sleeping. In my case, it's the ba- it's a battle every morning <laughs> on Saturday mornings. But... Um, Whenever the Bible study wins the battle, it's because at that moment, I know I'm going to find more pleasure going to that study than staying home. And I do every single Saturday morning. I am so grateful that I have met with those women, that I've um, prayed with them, that I've talked and learned um, from them. So it's so pleasurable to me being in their presence and, and learning from the Word of God that I am compelled to wake up early in the morning and to do that. So this is a human condition that we can observe um, in our lives every day. And in addition to these two factors, we also have a brain that cannot focus on every single input that it's exposed to. It would literally drive us crazy. Can you imagine Being constantly aware of every noise, movement, or anything and everything that's going around you 100% of the time, it would be exhausting, right? So in order to function properly, our brain chooses to focus only on the things we have decided are most important. So you're not focused on things that are not needed or helpful when you're performing a certain task. And it also uses a process that's called habitual learning for you to accomplish tasks successfully and efficiently. So through habitual learning, our brain, after a certain amount of repetition, is able to create neural pathways and connections that enables us to do things exerting very little energy. It's basically our human autopilot mode. So this actually happens physically in our brain. As we habituate ourselves with a certain behavior or a certain habit, our brain creates these neural connections that allows us to do that same task without thinking about it. We just do it mindlessly. So it's our autopilot mode. And that's where we can accomplish these tasks subconsciously, without really thinking about every single detail that's needed. And the classical examples for this would be driving a car, learning to type on a keyboard, or riding a bicycle, right? We all know that when we first learn how to drive a car, we are totally conscious about every single detail that we need to do in order to drive that car, and once we've done it enough times, we become habituated. So we can basically do it mindlessly. And and the same thing happens um, when you're driving to work or back home from a place that you go regularly. At first you need to be paying attention to every turn that you need to make on the road, but after you've done the route enough times, you can do it without even thinking about it. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but I've had situations many, many times where I was going somewhere before heading back home and my mind just completely um, went off towards something else, um, either something that I was thinking or I was deep in conversation with someone next to me or on the phone and I got distracted. And the last thing I know, I'm standing right in front of my house, even though I intended to go somewhere else. It's crazy, right? So we just go off on these autopilot modes and we're able to perform tasks without even needing to think consciously about it. And a lot of our living experiences fall into this category, which can be a beautiful thing because it would literally be exhausting, right? To have to think about every single detail of every single task that we need to do every day. So I just created this brilliant, neural connections and habitual learning and, and it's great. It works wonderful for its purpose. But this can also create many challenges when we're trying to get rid of old unhelpful or even harmful behaviors and trying to create new habits and behaviors in our lives. So once our brain has developed habitual learning, it has now physically formed solid neural pathways for that particular behavior. And in order for us to create any changes in that behavior, we would need to interrupt that pattern and create a new pathway to override the one that we no longer desire. But now to complicate things just a little further, our brain also has two really important parts when it comes to managing behaviors. So we have the prefrontal cortex, which um, some like to call it the human brain, and we have the limbic system, um, which some like to call the critter brain. And why are these important? So the prefrontal cortex, or the human brain, is the area that's responsible for our ability to differentiate between good and bad, same and different, predict outcome, make decisions, and have self-control. So this area is crucial in moderating behavior. It's often referred to as the executive branch of our brain. And the reason why, it's because this area is responsible for a lot of our planning and decision-making. And the limbic system, or the critter brain, um, which also supports a variety of functions related to emotion, behavior, motivation, and memory, Its primary concern is self-preservation or survival. So maintaining homeostasis, keeping things as they are so that we can continue on living is its main job. Okay, so what you may be thinking, right? who cares? (laughs) So the reason these are important is because if you are trying to break an old habit pattern, those habitual neural pathways we talked about earlier, and you're trying to create a new habit, you're trying to habituate new neural pathways, you will run into some problems. So let's say you're considering to make some changes in your life, right? So your prefrontal cortex, consider those changes. um, And it may agree that you're indeed way overdue in making those changes happen. It can predict the negative consequences that will come if you don't do anything about it. And it agrees that they're not worth having it. Those negative consequences are not worth it. So your brain finally takes on the courage and decides let's do this. So you get all pumped and excited and you're ready to do this. And then what comes next? I think we've all faced this. You'll still have to deal with that critter brain. So at that point, that critter brain will be hitting you like a bucket of cold water, trying to deflate all that excitement and show you all the reasons why it's a bad idea to bring about change. The critter brain does not like changes. It freaks out every time we try to create a change, be it a good change or a bad change. So remember, its job is to maintain homeostasis. It's to keep things as they have always been, be it good or bad, because you've been there, you know you've survived, you know you've lived through, so it wants to maintain you in that place. So now, not only you'll have the trouble of getting off from that autopilot mode we've talked about, the habitual learning, but now you'll also have to face the pesky critter brain, which will be causing you all kinds of fear, insecurities, anxiety, and will surprise you with all kinds of awesome reasons why you should not create any changes in your life. So you've probably experienced this a million times in your life. Um, Let's say you finally decide to wake up early. And then the alarm hits and your brain starts to give you all the reasons why you should sleep in. Oh, you deserve it. You've been doing so much lately. Or, oh, you won't even be able to focus in your devotions if you get up right now. You're so tired. Oh, you're so tired. You need to sleep in. You went to bed so late last night oh, there is always tomorrow. You don't need to wake up early today. You can start waking up early tomorrow, right? Like our brains just gives us all kinds of thoughts and ideas and reasons and excuses um, as to why we should not make those changes that we're trying to make. Um, Another um, popular one is when we decide to lose some extra pounds. (laughs) Your critter brain starts to freak out. Should I really do this? I won't make it through without fill in the blank, without cookies, cupcakes, or whatever, without bread, whatever it is that you think you'll need to give up. So why put myself through misery? It's better not to even start than start and fail again. Or why can't I just be content where I am? Or my favorite one, I can't make health or healthy food into an idol in my life as you go on ignoring the fact that food is already an idol and gluttony an actual sin in the Bible. Ouch. Trust me, I've been there myself. (laughs) And not to say that health can't become an idol, because it totally can. And I have fallen into that pit as well. I think it's especially easy for people who are using God's pharmacy to heal their bodies to fall into this trap. Um, And by God's pharmacy, I mean... All of the incredible edibles and substances that God has made in nature um, that have incredible healing powers like whole foods, herbs, essential oils, and things like that. But I can guarantee you the majority of people do not suffer from making healthy eating an idol. Just take a look around you and you will soon see that the opposite is actually what predominates. Um, Processed foods and sugar that is everywhere nowadays is just way too addictive. So it's nearly impossible not to overindulge and think about food all of the time. So another area that you can see your critter brain in action is when you decide to try something new in your life. So like a new job or a new relationship or learn a new skill. And I'll guarantee you, you'll be having some thoughts similar to these. So if you don't start, you can't fail or you're good right where you are. Why add the fill in the blank, extra responsibility, extra time, extra work, extra effort When you can just stay as you are and enjoy the comfort of what you already know and are familiar with. So you get the gist, right? Our brain, or the critter brain, will try to give us all of the reasons why we should not create changes in our lives. So at this point, you're probably wondering, okay, I see your point. The struggle is real. Now what? What do we do to overcome these mental barriers? And here is the foundational part that I want you to take from this episode, right? What we need is mind management. And I'll say it again, mind management. So our minds left to itself are like little toddlers left alone in the house, right? They will run wild and crazy. You would not leave... A toddler alone in your house, you should not leave your brain unmanaged. And it is our job to manage our minds daily, minute by minute, until we can create the changes in thought patterns and behavior that we're trying to create in our lives. And I would say this is a life-going, ongoing thing. Because as long as we're living in this body of flesh and then this world that has not been fully restored we are going to be managing our minds daily. So, how do we apply this to our daily lives and what does the Bible has to say about all this, right? Cuz to me this is the important part. What does the Bible has to say about this? So, obviously from the Bible, we know that the human brain has not evolved into what we can observe today. But it was perfectly designed by the creator God. We understand from scripture that we humans have been created in God's image to live in perfect union with our creator God, as well as with his creation. So we could say that pre-fall in the Eden world, we humans would not only seek, but also find pleasure in our perfect fellowship with God and his creation. And there was no pain, so there was no need to avoid pain, because there was no death, right? Humans had perfect fellowship with God and with nature. We coexisted in perfect harmony. So the human experience at this point was perfectly complete in its existence. Then Genesis 3 happens. Sin enters into the picture and the all of reality. So fear, shame, disease, pain, death, all becomes part of the human experience now. And that is where the need and desire to avoid pain is birthed in humanity. And the fellowship between humans and God and humans and nature is completely broken. So now from the very beginning, the sovereign creator knew this would take place right nothing ever takes an all knowing god by a surprise so in genesis 3 we already see his promise that one day the offspring of the woman would crush the serpent's head and all throughout the bible from genesis to revelation the redemptive story is told where we see the messiah our real life superhero who would one day come to save the world from the devastating impact of sin and restore once again these broken fellowships between humans and God as well as humans and the nature. So then we begin to see the prophetic scriptures being fulfilled in history. So we have Jesus Christ who enters the earth as scripture foretold, fulfilling many detailed accounts, including Isaiah 53, where the Messiah's atoning death is clearly depicted 700 years prior to his birth. I mean, this is amazing. When I first became a believer, this was the part that blew my mind and just like did it for me. When I read Isaiah 53, I was like, this is it. Like this was written 700 years prior to Jesus's birth. I I had no words to to fight that truth. I was like, I, I just couldn't resist it anymore. That was... God's irresistible grace at that moment. Like I just believed completely. So then Jesus dies fulfilling the last and final sacrifice for the sins of all of those in every corner of the globe from every tongue and tribe whom God has already chosen for himself even before the foundations of the earth to be his children for all eternity future. Wow, it's, I mean, it's, it's amazing. And you can read about this on Ephesians 1. And through His sacrificial death, the death that was going to be required of us for our sins, and through His miraculous resurrection, we have now been made right again in God's sight. Christ has absorbed our sin, and we have been given His righteousness. Fellowship has finally been restored. Isn't that amazing? I mean, if this doesn't cause your heart to jump with joy, you probably didn't hear me right. I mean, think about it. We, sinners, all of us, were heading towards death and eternal separation from our Creator God. And because of what Christ did on the cross, we won't anymore. Not because we deserve... No, we don't. We don't deserve to be in God's presence. I mean, we're talking about a holy God here, one that cannot be in the presence of any sin. Imagine God as the sun, right? Can anyone be in the presence of the sun and not be completely destroyed? No, of course not. They can't. The sun is way too powerful. And our creator created the sun, so can you even begin to imagine the type of power we're talking about here? It's mind-blowing, right? It's, it's, it's more than mind-blowing. I mean, He is the one who made heavens and earth. And He chose to be the sacrifice in our place. And now we get to live again. I mean, if this doesn't blow your mind, then... I don't know what will. (laughs) We have been given a second chance in life. It's like knowing you have been born with a fatal disease that has no cure for it. So you will die, and it could be any minute now. And all of a sudden, someone who is totally healthy looks at you, touches you, absorbs all of that sickness from you, and that person gets sick. With your sickness and dies. And you, you are left completely healed. Wow. How would that make you feel? I mean, it's, it's surreal. It's surreal. It's not, it's, it's the most amazing story ever told. But our Savior wasn't just a sacrificial loving person who gave his life for another. No, our savior is God himself. So he didn't just die in our place, but on the third day, he actually rose again. And that my friends is the miraculous because when he rose again, he conquered death forever, forever. No more death, no more pain. And now we are living at a time in history where once again, we are waiting we're waiting for the final prophecies to be fulfilled, just like those other times in history when they were waiting, when God's people were waiting upon the prophecies that had been made to, for the Messiah to come. Right, like when it said that the Messiah would come as a baby, born of a virgin, and about his that talked about his atoning sacrificial death and resurrection, and all of that. So they were waiting for all of that to happen, and it did happen. And now we're still waiting for final fulfillment of this epic story, where our Savior will come not as a meek baby, and not as a sacrificial lamb, but as a king. And oh, how glorious that day will be, and when His time is complete, all heavens and All earth will be made new again. And all of us believers will finally have our glorified bodies, praise God. And earth will finally be completely and fully restored again. We'll return to the beginning. We will return to that Eden state. Earth will be restored again completely and forever. So if you don't have a smile on your face when you think about this incredible redemption story, you either are not a believer, in which case you really should not be smiling at this point, but on your knees repenting and believing, or you have been habituated with the gospel story so much that it has long been buried in subconscious thinking, which is really a big shame because it is in the gospel that we find the greatest joy this world can ever offer. It is there that we find true humility, true love, true gratitude, and true forgiveness. All the things that the world seeks for generations all can be found in this one magnificent story. The best story, the one that sheds light and understanding in all of human history, and all of the human condition. Okay, so here's the connection I want you to understand and I want you to take from all of this. We're all born into the sinful condition. We all have reality and truth distorted in our minds, in our body, and in our soul. We see and relate to people and to the world through these distorted lenses. Our emotions, our feelings, our thoughts are all distorted by sin. The way we view ourselves, the way we view others, the way we experience things, the way we view God, they are all distorted by sin. But through Christ's death on the cross, He has made us right again. We have been granted by His amazing grace our pre-fall human condition where we are no longer in bondage with sin. We no longer need to live life under its curse and distortions. We can now live with the right view of reality. We can live in the truth. John 8.32 says, Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And Christ said in John 14:6, "I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." But because the epic redemption story has not yet been entirely fulfilled, there are still prophecies to be completed. We don't yet have our glorified bodies, which means we're still battling our flesh and the old self daily. And earth has not yet been restored, so we are still living in a world filled with sin, death, and pain. But God has left His children two things that will sustain us and equip us to live in His truth and not be deceived by the distorted truths that dominates this post-fall world. And these are the Holy Spirit and the sacred scriptures, the Bible, to direct us, guide us, remind us, and speak to us God's truth every single day. And in the scriptures, God tells us to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds in Romans 12.2. And he also says in 2 Corinthians 10.5 that we should take every thought captive to obey Christ. So when trying to create these new changes in our lives, be it physical or spiritual, it means we need to create changes in our minds first. And to accomplish this, we need to learn to be transformed by the renewing of our minds daily. And here's where I like to use the model as the basis to accomplish this work. So the model was coined by a secular life coach, Castillo, who basically came up with this formula to help people better manage their thought life and create changes in their lives. I like to call it the every thought captive model because what fascinated me about this formula is just how easy it made applying Ephesians 4 verses 22 and 24 um, into my everyday life. In this verse, God calls us to put off our old self. It says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So this model is a very um, practical and effective way for us to Put into practice this renewing of our minds daily so make sure to tune into our next podcast where i will be discussing in detail how to use the every thought captive model and i'll explain um, how it works how you can apply to your everyday life and how this can be very effective in working in this renewing of your mind every day So thank you so much for sticking with me through the end. I know this episode was packed with information and I trust that as you learn more about how God has designed the human brain to work and as you learn how to overcome its challenges and begin to take every thought captive to obey Christ, you will experience some powerful transformation in your everyday life.